I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story, and I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 10. Forza. Across the Sea. I have to go to Italy. I can't explain it. I just know it's a fact. I need to go to Italy. I need to see my childhood friend, to be with her and her family, to feel the warm, hot air of the seaside and the cool air of the mountains. I need to drink wine under a pergola as the sun sets, while we laugh and cry together over the shit show my life has suddenly become. I've been cut loose, adrift. In Italy, I will feel grounded again. I just know it. Ferma lo stravento come un palo freddo Muta pensando una maglia Davanti lo cuore I need to bring Bertie with me, since no one in Italy has ever met her. And I need to bring my sister's daughter, too. I want to. She's 13 now, and she's traveled with me before. The husband and I would take her everywhere with us. I often feel like she's my other daughter. I want them both to come with me to our homeland, to feel the sand and the warm Tyrrhenian Sea one day, and walk among 2,000-year-old ruins the next. I book three tickets for the beginning of July. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. Why would you want to take two kids to Italy with you? Go on your own. You need a break, they all say. But there's something I can't explain. This is what I have to do. And so we go. Three girls across the Atlantic. My tornado of a five-year-old daughter. My 13-year-old niece who's packed nothing but identical pairs of extremely short cut-off shorts, and me, a functioning pile of pain. I'm already in withdrawal from booze and cigarettes, since I won't smoke or drink while I'm with the kids. Right from the start, the three of us have the best time. La tavola. Here I am, staring out at the Tyrrhenian Sea. It's a blinding blue with white flashes, and the sun is as hot as it gets, and the sand burns your bare feet in seconds. Bertie is along the water's edge, scooping sand into piles that get washed away faster than she can make them. My niece is nearby, idly placing shells on the piles and allowing Bertie to order her around. 
Neither of them have siblings, and so are like sisters, which is why I couldn't imagine coming here with one and not the other. My childhood friend is beside me. We've known each other our entire lives. We met in our mother's tummies, we always say, even though we've never really done the math to bother to see if it's true. I've traveled all the way across the Atlantic to be with her, specifically, because she is the anchor my unmoored life needs. Italy is the anchor. The sea before us is unbelievably flat. It looks like a painting, the edge a perfect line, not even a ripple as far as the eye can see. I've never seen anything like it. La tavola, my friend says, like she can read my mind. We call it la tavola, the table, whenever the sea is as flat as it is today. We sit quietly and look at it. I've spent the past six months in rubble, a shaky, confused mess. We will talk about it all in every detail over the days to come, whenever the kids aren't around. But for now, at least, just being here with her has calmed me. And with the warm sun on my face and the husband and ocean away, I feel like I can breathe. Treading water. The trip to Italy is only 10 days long. I've planned out six days in and around Rome with my childhood friend and her family, and the final four in my dad's hometown in the south. 10 days. The husband and I have never been apart for more than three days, not in the entire 12 years we've been together. And in that time, we've never, ever gone even one full day without contact, even since the separation. We're the least separated, separated couple ever. This will certainly be a test. As each day passes, the pain of what's happened diminishes. I feel less like a trauma survivor and more like a regular person again. I take the girls into Rome and we spend the day sightseeing getting on and off subways, walking up steep hills and tiny, crowded streets. We go into little shops, eat tons of pistachio ice cream, and marvel at everything around us. The Colosseum blows my niece's mind, just like it did the first time I saw it when I was 15, just as I remember it affecting the husband when I brought him to see it. Standing inside something so big, so majestic, so ancient, so barbaric, it's like looking at the inside of love itself. We alternate between days in the city and days at the seaside. In the evenings, we stay in my friend's town south of Rome, having dinner with her husband, teenage son, and her parents, who've known me my whole life. Whenever the kids aren't around, my friend and I do nothing but talk, talk, talk. About love and heartbreak, 
about faith and duty, right and wrong, choice and independence. I wish we didn't have to live on different continents, that the years between visits weren't always so silent between us. But I love how as soon as we're together again, we're connected at the hip, and it's like no one else is there. That's the thing about girlfriends sometimes. Our bonds can be lifelong and intense. It's no wonder men are always disappointing us. Her father and I talk a lot, too. One night on their balcony, after everyone else has gone to bed, I sit with him and stare out into the night sky. He talks about how heartbroken he is about the separation, how shocked. He, like everyone else in our lives, thought the world of the husband and can't reconcile the man he thought he knew with the man that ripped my heart out. There are tears in his eyes as he talks, this big man with a voice like gravel who was like another father to me when I was a kid and a friend to my own father. As his wife clears the dishes away, he lights a cigarette and makes an observation about the husband that's so astute it will remain with me for a long time. He says, Your husband's life before you was like a leaky, unstable boat. He didn't know how he could get off it, this stupid boat that everyone around him was always crazy, bailing out the water all the time, bail, 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 until he saw an island, you, and he knew that was it. That was where he could finally stand. So he jumped off, and he swam to you. And it felt good to stand there. So he did. But after a while, he got restless. He kept seeing boats go by, and he forgot how much he hated it out there. He only knew he didn't want to be standing anymore. So he jumped back in. He swam and swam, and that's where he is now. Treading water sometimes, swimming sometimes, then treading, treading, treading. But he never lets his island out of sight. He'll always keep you in his sight, but he just feels like he can never come up on the shore again. The sound of an engine kick-starting on the street below punctuates the end of the story. I cry, and he says, Hey, Mish, it's okay, because at least you still have you. You're always going to be you, which is the best, okay? I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Calabria. After six days, the girls and I say goodbye to my friend and her family and get on a train headed south to Calabria. My dad's been touring Italy with his lovely girlfriend, 
and we've arranged to meet up with them in his hometown. They're there at the train station when we arrive, along with his cousin, who has the exact same name as him. I love this man, this cousin with my dad's exact name. I burst into tears the moment I see him. We hug on the platform for a long, long time. It's so cool, so strange how you can have these inexplicable ties with some people, a magical, undefinable connection. He's one of those people for me. The town is small and high in the mountains. It's more rugged here compared to Rome, more pastoral. The air is fresher, the people a little rougher around the edges at first, and the food is out of this world. My dad is overjoyed to have his two granddaughters here in the place he was born. He makes us do all the things you have to do when you're with my dad in Calabria. Go to the cemetery, pass by the church my grandparents were married in, sit on the bench outside his aunt's home and listen to her and the other old ladies from the town talk and talk while drinking the world's strongest cafe. Here's the house he was born in. And look, in the sitting room, there's a trap door that leads to the cellar where the goat and the chicken would go each night so they wouldn't get stolen or eaten by dogs. Here's the 500-year-old chestnut tree they call Ukurchu. And here's the world's best water at Sant'Angelo, my dad's favorite spring, high in the mountains, above his already high in the mountains town. It tastes just like water, but he thinks it's the best. And now we have our feet in the sea. Isn't this the best? <laughs> Everything is the best to my dad, which makes this part of the trip all the more awesome. I'm so happy to be here with him again, to have the girls be part of it. He wasn't always this way. There were years after my parents' divorce that things were not the best at all. My mother left him, and in the depths of his heartbreak, he made a lot of mistakes, and his relationship with me and my siblings suffered. For almost 10 years, we kept our distance. Many years later, my dad returned to us a completely different man. My sister and I called him the new dad because he was so much less judgmental and hard, so much more involved in our lives and in our children's lives. It's such a gift to have him back, to have the new dad shouting, Isn't this the best? We go to my family's farm, a place that is actually, to me, the best in every way possible. It's one of my favorite places on earth, and the girls fall in love with it too. We pick figs and yellow plums off trees. We pluck flowers off zucchinis, gathering them in our skirts for me to fry up later for a snack. I imagine all the generations of women in our family doing this exact thing in this exact spot. And it is here that I'm finally able to think of things other than my husband's betrayal 
and the splintering of my heart. Here, I'm able to enjoy how my daughter, a city kid through and through, is expertly picking figs by twisting them at the base before pulling. Or how my niece, in her two short shorts, is carrying a basket of vegetables on her head as she traverses the steep countryside, like it could be 50 years ago, or even 100. At the farm, I feel like there's a purpose to this all. There's a reason to love, even if it means loss. On the very last day, the husband phones. As soon as I hear his voice, everything becomes choppy waves again. Every word he says to me is like I'm being hit by those waves, pulled under where I can't breathe. I hear him saying he's been busy and he hasn't actually missed me that much. And I say, what? And it sounds hysterical. I'm pulled under again on with the undertow. I cry. Not just regular crying, but the kind that comes from another time and space altogether. The kind that's so deep and hard that you feel like you will never stop ever. I can hear the uncomfortable clinking of cutlery in the next room where my family sits, trying to eat lunch while I explode from my insides out. I know the girls can hear me, but I can't stop. They're just kids and they shouldn't have to hear this. But I can't stop. After nine full days without him, with this one sentence, he has cut me again and I'm unable to recover. He was busy. He didn't miss me. I pull it together enough to sneak out the back door, grabbing my purse as I do. I walk around to the other side of the house and sit on a stoop, facing the mountains. I light a cigarette, even though it's daytime and anyone can catch me. My breathing slows. The hysterical wailing stops. I take in the cigarette smoke and the fresh mountain air. I look at the blue sky and for the first time in my life... I don't want to go home. I want to stay right here, with my dad's cousin, with the old sad dog that's looking at me, with the mountains and the sea. I want to sit right here forever and turn to dust. And then my dad rounds the corner. He mercifully says nothing about the cigarette in my hand. He just sits beside me and stares at the mountains too, the sun beaming directly into our eyes. Here's my father, talking to me about heartbreak, talking to me in what might be the most tender tone I've ever heard him speak in, since he's usually well-meaning, but brusque and unemotional. Here's my dad comforting me, tears in his eyes. I lean my head on his shoulder. Suddenly I realize he knows what this feels like for me. This grief, he's felt it. He had his heart 
shattered by my mother, and fell down the well of self-pity until he was out of reach, even from those of us who loved him most. Now here he is with me on this stoop, telling me as much, telling me how he let his pain devour him, telling me I'm strong and don't have to be devoured by what the husband did. With my head on his shoulder and the sun in our eyes, we stare out at the mountains in silence. That same vista people in my family have looked at for generations. How many of them sat here like this, their hearts in a million pieces, with no choice but to keep moving forward? Did my grandmother ever feel this way? Is it inevitable that one day Bertie will feel like this? God, I hope not. We sit and stare, and with his arm still around me, my dad says, You're not smoking now, are you? Because it's no good. A few weeks later, back in Toronto, I go to my favorite tattoo artist in Kensington Market. She designs a beautiful font for the Italian phrase I want tattooed on my right wrist. I need it there, where I can always see it, inked into my skin to remind me where I'm from and also what I'm made of. I have metal. I have fortitude. I come from the soil and the sun and the sand and the ruins. I come from war and poetry and invention. In my blood runs the seas that flow out into the Mediterranean. On my wrist, facing up at me, she tattoos Forza e Coraggio, Strength and Courage. I'm gonna need it. Something else makes its move. So come, stands fills this room. Don't know where I've come to. Wish for anything but truth And every touch is too much pain And every look is too fold again And all these things just cannot arrange their orbit You've been listening to Alone, a love story. It's a CBC original podcast written by me, Michelle Parisi. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. Our theme music is by Yehenda. If you have a minute, I'd love you to help someone feel less alone. Share this with your friends, write a review, or drop me a line. Explore more at cbc.ca slash alone. Thanks for listening.
If you like Alone, a love story, I want to tell you about Love Me, a CBC original podcast about the messiness of human connection. You'll hear stories that sneak up on you and punch you right in the heart, like a mother who was forced to press charges against her son, a couple who fell in love through Google Translate, and a man whose father-in-law asked him to build him a coffin. I'd stored most of the pieces in the basement for more than a year. Then, a few months ago, my wife said, I think you should probably finish building the coffin. I think we might need it soon. We have to be very careful when we hug him now. The doctor said that his vertebrae are all honeycombed, and if he twists wrong, there's a possibility of just breaking his bones. He's fragile. To hear the rest of the story, visit cbc.ca slash loveme, or download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.